my mind, I've called it the Young Guns series, like the Young Guns series. So uh, over the next few, Bex, started, Bex, you started this last week, so you're part of the Young Guns team, right? She's wearing glasses now, so it's like Young Guns now got to wear glasses. I love you, babe. You look good in them. The next three weeks, I don't know if you know, we've got a whole nother level of amazing preachers and leaders coming through in our church. And uh, we're just so blown away by the caliber, the quality, the level. I kind of look down at some of these guys and go, man, if I was half as good as you are when I was your age, man, I wish, if only. And some of these young people coming through in our Elam Leadership College and through our uh, ministries and different things that go on are just absolute guns, absolute weapons for the kingdom of God. And so over the next three weeks, we've got three young guns are going to be preaching here at the 5 p.m. So I encourage you, bring people out to support these guys because somewhere along the way, someone gave me a shot and it helps you go into what God's got for your life. And uh, I really believe, we believe in each one of these guys. We believe in the call of God on them. And so tonight to bring the second part in our anatomy series, I want you to welcome to the platform our children's pastor, Danielle Joy. Come on, Danielle. don't know me, like Steve said. <laughs> My name is Danielle, and I'm the children's pastor here at our Botany campus. And I reckon I have the greatest job on the planet. I absolutely love what I do. And with the help of my incredible team, we look after a really big number of kids on a Sunday morning. And it's crazy and cool and fun. And I just absolutely love it. And I'm so thankful and so privileged to be able to work at a place like this, but to also lead a team of such incredible people. And so usually on a Sunday night, I'm over in the gym with all the kids, but um, I'm very excited to be here with you guys tonight to be sharing in the second week of our anatomy series. And so tonight I'm going to be talking about a topic that's quite normal to talk about in kids' ministry, um, but I feel kind of weird talking about it here, but that's all right. Uh, we're going to be talking about feet tonight, <laughs> so it's going to be a good time, but before I start, let's just pray. Hey God, thank you so much for giving me this opportunity to come and speak, Lord. I just pray that something about this word would just sit in the hearts of every person in this room. And I just thank you for blessing me with being able to share it, Father. And I ask this in your name. Amen. Awesome. So I've had a lot of really cool opportunities um, since I started working here. And one of the um, cool opportunities that I got at the beginning of the year um, was with our Pukekohe Power Zone team. So Power Zone's our primary aged program that I run. And the team in Pukekohe do an absolutely amazing job. And they were asked to go down to Blenheim at the beginning of the year for the first week of the school holidays. So they got asked to go and serve at the holiday program that they run at the Elam Church down there. And because I'm friends with most them, I somehow kind of wiggled my way in the trip so that I could go with them. And so um, we went and it ended up being one of the like greatest weeks away that I'd had in quite a long time. And it was just awesome because we went, we, we flew down to Nelson and we got picked up by one of the pastors and we drove to Blenheim. And um, we, were, we went straight to the church and they gave us a run through of what was gonna happen and it was, it was awesome. So we spent a whole week um, and 80% of the kids that go to that holiday program are all unchurched. So we got to spend the week with all of these kids from the community, just talking to them about God, building relationships, influencing them and just being a little bit silly and a little bit fun. And even though it was work, I kind of on the last day, I just felt so filled up and I just felt like my cup was overflowing because I'd had such a good time. 
And I was sad, but I was also kind of like satisfied with how the week had gone, you know. And it came to the last day and the children's pastor down there, Amber, she came and she picked us up really, really early on the day we needed to fly back. So she came over with this like big, like it wasn't a truck, it was a a van that she'd hired. And we all like put all our bags in the back and we drove and did a few like stopovers on our way back to Nelson. And our flight was only at 5 p.m. So we had heaps of time to kind of go around and you know, just sightsee for whatever there is in Nelson and go go check it out. And so we spent a, um, a long time at the beach. And while we were at the beach, a couple of the boys from the um, Pukakoi team had kind of been looking for stuff for us to do. And they were like, guys, it would be really cool if we could go and visit the center of New Zealand. And we were all like, yeah, okay, cool. Like, maybe not. That doesn't sound like a good time. And they just kept bringing it up like over and over again. And eventually we were like, okay, let's just Google it and find out what it is. So we Google it, search a little bit about it, figure out that it's not too far away from where we were. And the boys made it sound like it was going to be like a five-minute walk. So we were like, okay, like, I can do a five-minute walk. And so we end up driving to go visit the center of New Zealand. And we drive and we pull up at this big park. And there's like nothing there. And there's like this path that leads into the bushes. And so we're like, okay, well, that must lead to it. So we walk over to the bushes and there's this big sign and it's got arrows pointing in all sorts of different directions to different paths. And we read it and we find one that says, center of New Zealand, 25 minutes. And I was like... Okay. (laughs) Now, don't get me wrong. I love a good like hike or a good walk, but when I'm prepared for it and when I'm not dressed to go and hop on an airplane. So I was wearing almost this, well, actually almost the same outfit I'm wearing tonight. I was wearing these shoes that I had to hike all the way up to the center of New Zealand. And the boys are really excited, so I didn't complain and I didn't say anything. And I was like, okay, we'll, we'll do it. Yeah, exactly. So I was like, okay, we'll do it. So we go and everyone in the group like was really, really pumped and really excited. I was kind of not. So then everyone was like going like really fast ahead of us. And I'm also not the fittest person on the planet. So like I was struggling just a little bit. It wasn't steep by any means. We were like definitely going uphill. And so we're like five minutes into it and most people are like way ahead of us. And I'm like, struggling, but I turn around, and Amber is struggling just as much as I am, but she's, like, struggling to the point where she just wants to give up, and she's like, I I just, I can't do this anymore, so I give her a good pep talk, because I'm determined to get to the top of this thing and visit this, like, center of New Zealand, and so we keep going, and then eventually everyone's gone, apart from me, Amber, and two other girls that are with us, and so we're going, we're going, we reach 15 minutes and I'm like majorly regretting my outfit choice in the morning <laughs> because my feet are sliding out of my shoes and I have to keep like taking them off to take all like the dirt out of them. It was just not a good time, but I'm still determined we're going to get to the top. So we're going, we're going, we're going. We're like 20 minutes in and we reach this point in the path where it like went in two different directions and we needed to pick where we went. And so we're following this path and it just keeps going and going and going. And then there's another option to turn and we're trying to find a sign to tell us which way way to go, but there's nothing. So we just kind of have to figure out where to go, and we're like, okay, well, if we want to get to the center of New Zealand, the sign said to follow this path, so let's just follow this one. So we didn't want to get lost, so ended up following it, kept going and going and going, 
and it gets some, the, to the point where we're like 40 minutes into this walk and I am like beyond over it. Like I'm just like, I'm just so sick of it and I'm like, I thought this was a bad idea to begin with, so why are we still here? And I stop in my tracks and I turn around and I look at Amber and I'm like, Amber, this was the like worst idea we've had this entire trip. I am turning around, I am over this, like I'm ready to go back to the beginning. So she looks at me and she gives me the exact same pep talk that I gave her at the beginning. <laughs> and we decide to keep going. And luckily it was only like five minutes left, so I was ready to turn around, but it was like right there. And we got to the top and everyone had already been there for like 15, 20 minutes. And they'd been there for so long that they were just over it and wanted to go back down. I'm so tired, I don't even want to look at the like pin that's in the middle pointing to it. So I just sit down and I'm like, whatever, like I'm just ready to go back home, this is awful. And so we're sitting there, we take a few group photos and then we head back down. And this time, we decided to follow really closely to the other group who'd, who'd gone before us. And it turns out if we had taken that other path, it would have only been five more minutes to the top which was quite frustrating. And by the time we got to the bottom, my feet were sore. They were like so dirty from all the stuff that had come into my shoes. And I was just so over it because I couldn't do anything about it because we still had to fly home before I could even have like a shower or anything. And <laughs> I, I thought that it was like really bad. But in Bible times, so when um, Jesus and them were alive, people would walk further distances than I ever did on that walk, right? And they would do it in like flimsy sandals. That was all they had. So I can only imagine how awful their feet would have looked, right? Their feet would have been swollen. It would have been sore. It would have been covered in sweat. It would have been covered in dirt. It would have just been really, really bad. And they would have gone really long periods of time without washing them too, right? So there's a story in the Bible that always makes me think of that, um, and how bad Jesus and his disciples' feet would have been when they were walking such long distances and visiting so many people, and it's found in John 13, verse 1 to 17, and it's titled, Jesus Washes His Disciples' Feet. And I thought, you know what? No better story to talk about feet than when Jesus decided to wash not his own, but his friend's feet. And the scripture starts at the point where it's Jesus' last meal on earth, and it's the day before he's about to get put on the cross. And the passage says this. It says, Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress. The, the devil had already prompted Judas to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. So let's take a look at what was happening. Jesus is about to give his life on the cross. He's at his final meal, surrounded by his closest friends, by his disciples, and he's about to give one last speech. And he knows that the very next day, one of those closest friends is about to betray him. He's gonna to be tortured, he's gonna to be beaten, and he's gonna be hung on a cross. With all this in mind, he's looking around the table, seeing his friends, and they're all arguing about who's greater and who's more important. And what he does is he looks around and he sees his friends, he sees the words that they're throwing around, and he also sees their dirty feet. He sees their argument and he sees their dirty feet. So he decides, you know what? He can wash feet. So that's exactly what he did. 
In Jesus' time, washing someone's feet was common courtesy when, they came, when you came to their home. So they would greet you and then they would ask if you wanted your feet washed. But the host would never do it because it was such a humiliating task to do. So they used to leave it to their servants. But Jesus not only breaks the social norm, but he doesn't actually think anything about it. The scripture says, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. Jesus is at his final meal on earth. And what does he do? He looks around, he puts on a slave's apron, he picks up a bucket, and he fills it with water. This is something that was reserved for the lowest of the low in society, and Jesus, the Son of God, decided that he was worthy of doing that task. Jesus saw right past the work that he was gonna put in to actually clean the mud and the dirt away. All he saw was how it was gonna make his disciples feel when it, when it was done. All he saw was the ideas that he was gonna change about the world and the people in it when he was doing this task. How many times do we hear of people, of friends, of family even, who could use help, who have a situation they're dealing with, who could benefit from being shown a love like this, but we choose not to because it requires us to give a little bit more of ourselves than we're actually willing to give. Why do we put ourselves before the needs of others around us when we're called to go the extra mile and to do the opposite and to be the light of the world and love others? Jesus was listening to the argument that had erupted between his disciples about who was greater, and he would have heard this argument and just saw how insignificant and visionless it was compared to what he was about to do the next day. He knew that washing someone's feet was considered a lowly job that was done by servants. It was an extreme act of service. So if he, their teacher, their Lord, their savior, washed their feet, then it would demonstrate that truly loving someone means putting others before yourself. He knew that if he could demonstrate this, then this would enable others to serve, he would, it would enable his disciples to serve others without thinking twice about it, right? And this applies in even, even the most seemingly insignificant situations as well. I'm always encouraging my kids on a Sunday to um, go and find someone who's on the playground at school that's sitting by themselves that doesn't have any friends to play with and go chat to them, say hello, and invite them to come and ha hang out with their friends. It's a very simple act of loving on someone, but it's actually really hard to do when you're asked to apply it to your life, right? Because how hard does it suddenly become when we think about church, right? You think about that person that comes to church by themselves and sits, sits by themselves, and you could very easily go and sit next to them, introduce yourself, say hi, but you choose not to because you've got the comfort of going and sitting with your friends. You choose yourself above others, and it's so much easier to just believe in an idea like that than to actually act on it. I'm guilty of it myself. I'll feel a nudge from God to go and do something for someone, go and sit with that person, go and give someone something. And as soon as I get it, I start running through all the excuses of why not to do it in my head, right? It means that I start to listen to that little voice in my head that tells me to sit with the friends that I meet up with every week rather than taking away the scariness of a new place for somebody else. When it hadn't even crossed anyone else's mind in the room, Jesus decided to give up his comfort his nice chair to go and bend down on his hands and knees and actually take discomfort away from his friends. 
He picked up a bucket and he filled, up with, filled it up with water. He was the one who chose to love his friends in the midst of their argument. A simple decision to show love and act out in faith for someone else's benefit could be the reason why their world changes completely. It could be a reason why they start to look at the world a little bit differently and see a little bit of hope in their current situation. And this leads me to my second point tonight. Choose to wash feet even when nobody else will. In verse seven, it goes on to say this. It says, he came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Let's stop there. The disciples had been spending their final meal with Jesus arguing over who was greater. And Jesus heard their visionless words and they saw their dirty feet and he knew that he could rectify both by choosing to wash the dirt away. Jesus was God's son, the king of kings, and he decided that he would do the job of the lowest of the low just because he loved them. Simon Peter didn't see that. He didn't understand what Jesus was doing and he couldn't understand why Jesus would choose to humiliate himself like that. He just couldn't understand what he was doing. But I look at the words of, of what they said and they said, no, you shall not wash my feet. If I had been the one who had chosen to get down on my hands and knees and wash the disgusting dirt off of my friend's feet and one of them had the audacity to call me out about it in front of everyone, I wouldn't wanna wash their feet anymore and I wouldn't wanna wash anybody else's feet anymore because I would be way too embarrassed to do it, to do it after that. But let me tell you, the greatest challenge to you walking out your faith is the people that you surround yourself with and the things that they do. You need to make sure that when you feel called to step out in faith and act out in love, that the people you surround yourself with are going to support you. They might not always wanna join in with you, but they need to support what you do. It is so much harder to step out and do these things when you have voices in your ear telling you that you shouldn't or that it's not worth it. You need to make sure that you're surrounding yourself with people that encourage you to wash people's feet, even when nobody else will. Verse eight goes on to say this, it says, Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you will have no part with me. This is where it clicked for him. And then he said, then Lord, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath only need to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. You are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was gonna betray him, and that's why he said not everyone was clean. In this moment, Jesus showed him, he showed his disciples, and he showed us that he didn't come to, to be served, he came to serve. Through his actions, Jesus said, he said, it's not about who's greater, it's about how much I love you and how you can show that love to others. I, I get really badly motion sick. <laughs> and um, I have luckily over the years gotten, um, had like learned a few tricks to stop myself from getting really sick. Um, but it has taken a little while and I have had to learn how to stop myself. And um, I'm one of those people that get so badly sick that like I can't read or anything in the car. And as soon as I feel sick, even the words on like street signs and stuff just make me wanna like throw up, it's like really bad. And so my family is from South Africa and my parents moved here just before I was born. And so 
Traveling that far um, to the other side of the world is quite expensive, so we haven't done it too many times, but we have done it, <laughs> have done it a couple times, and I remember one of the trips really, really clearly. I was about five, and we'd had, um, we'd planned a stopover in Singapore, and a flight like that is like 12-ish hours, right? And that is a really, really, really long time for a five-year-old to sit in a seat <laughs> and without like getting agitated. Um, but anyway, I remember being really, really excited and my mum had helped us pack bags full of like toys and lollies and books and all sorts of things. And there were, were movies that you can watch on the plane, obviously. And we went and I remember boarding the plane and I had my dad on one side and I had my brother on the other side. And we were having a really good time and we were a couple of hours in and I was laughing with my brother one second <laughs> and then the next second I just felt like I was going to throw up everything I had ever eaten in my entire life. <laughs> I just felt really, really sick and as a five-year-old, like, I don't know what to do about that. So I turn in my seat and I look at my dad and I'm like, dad, like, I don't feel so good. And he didn't even have time to grab like a vomit bag or anything. And his first instinct is to stick his hands out like this. <laughs> so I threw up in his hands on the plane. <laughs> it was definitely not one of my greatest moments. And I continued to get sick the rest of the flight all the way to Singapore and we were exiting the plane and the um, ladies just gave me like a stack, the hostesses gave me a stack of vomit bags as I left, like, goodbye, here you go, just in case you get sick. But I will admit it wasn't one of my greatest moments, but I do believe that this is one of my dad's greatest moments as a father <laughs> because in that moment there was no doubt that he really loved me, right? I don't think I could ever do that for someone no matter how much I loved them. <laughs> because I could not sit on a 12-hour flight and smell like somebody else's vomit. Like, I just, I, I couldn't do it. And admittedly, I didn't really give him much time to actually think about how he was going to react. But in the moment, the split second that he did, all he thought about was how much he loved me and how he could take that discomfort from me, right? He demonstrated how much he loved me, no matter how gross it might, it might have been. And through his actions, Jesus said, it's not about who's greater, it's about how much I love you and how you can show that love to others. The story continues in verse 12, and it says, when he had finished washing their feet, he put on, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. After Jesus had shown such a great act of love, he encouraged his disciples, his closest friends, to go out and do the same for others. Which is my third and final point tonight. Encourage others to help you wash feet. The band can come and join me now. When Jesus had finished washing, his, washing their feet, he asked if the disciples understood what he had done and the ideas that he had challenged. And he said, yes, they called him Jesus and, and Lord, but... Even so, even with those titles, he still decided to kneel down before them and wash their feet for them. 
And then he said this, he said, now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Jesus encouraged his disciples to go out and demonstrate that same love that he had shown them to the world and those around them. And just like Jesus did, stand up confidently in your call. Be the one that stands up and acts out in faith in ways that nobody else has the confidence to do because the world needs it. The world needs Christians who are gonna stand up and make a difference in their community, who will look at people and be like, I don't care how dirty your feet is. I don't care where you've been or where you come from. I'm gonna love you anyway and I'm gonna love you without agenda. And that you will willingly volunteer to be the one that helps them wash it. Something powerful happens when you decide that you aren't going to care what it looks like to the rest of the world. When you decide to get on your hands and knees and unashamedly follow the call of God, something great happens to your influence. Yes, verbally encourage others to, step, to join you in the call and step out and serve others with what they have in their hands, but also encourage others to join you through the actions and the life that you live. Your influence and the life that you live should be so loud that the people around you have a different texture to it simply because you are there. This happens when you decide to be the one to make a change. It happens when you're the one that shows others what it actually means to serve others like Christ. It happens when you choose to be the one that stands up and says, if nobody else is gonna honor God, if nobody else around me is gonna know Him, then I'm going to be the one that stands up and makes a difference. We need to encourage others to step out in faith and serve others wholeheartedly. We need to set an example for what it means to reach, serve, and influence others in the way that Jesus did at His final meal. Like I said earlier, it's so much easier to believe in an idea than to actually step out and do something about it. Jesus could have just as easily sat back in His chair and just told His disciples everything that He showed them. But He knew actually stepping out and acting on it was gonna make more of an impact than that. Let me encourage you, what Jesus did that day when He chose to wash His disciples' feet was He showed us that we're not called to get comfortable within the walls of our church, of our homes, of our schools, of our jobs. We're actually called to go out and make a difference in the world and go and give others a hope that they can't find anywhere else. Jesus was about to give His life on the cross and He'd gotten together with His closest friends, with His disciples, and He was about to give a final speech to them. And He knew that the very next day, one of those closest friends that He'd chosen to meet with was gonna betray Him in the worst way possible. He was gonna get, he was gonna get tortured and beaten and hung out on a cross to die. And with all this in mind, He's looking around at His friends and he, all he hears is the argument that they're having and he sees their dirty feet. So he decided that, you know what? What he could do is he could wash feet. And so that's what he did. Choose now in this moment to serve people, to love people, to demonstrate your faith in a way that nobody else can. Love without a gender in the same way that Jesus did. There are so many opportunities sitting right under your nose for you to step up and make a difference. It starts with you, but if you live your life right, it doesn't end with you. As I finish, let me pray for you. 
Hey God, I just thank you so much for the influence that you've placed on every single one of us, Lord God. And I thank you so much for the greatness that you have sitting inside of all of us. And I just pray that you would help us use that greatness for your glory, Father, that you would help us to bring it out of other people as well, to step up and make a difference when nobody else can or nobody else thinks they can. And I just pray that you would bless every single one of us and help us walk out our faith the way that Jesus did in that moment when he decided to wash everyone's feet, Lord. And I just thank you so much for every single person in this room. In your name, amen. Church, I'd, I'd love to pray one last prayer with you tonight. And uh, can I invite you to just take one little moment just to bow your heads and close your eyes. Just for a moment, I just wanna give you that one more small moment with you and God. I want to extend a very simple invitation to you tonight. If you're here in this room, if you're here in this service and you don't know Jesus, maybe you've never made a decision to follow Him before. Or maybe you're here tonight and you're here because you made a decision today that you're going to get to church and get right with God. Maybe you've been in church before, maybe you've walked with God before, but you're far from Him today. Maybe you're sitting here and you've been sitting in church your whole life. You're a great church person. You're a great church attender. But maybe you're missing that last little piece of the puzzle where you, you love church, but you don't, haven't quite surrendered your life to the hands of God. See, the truth is, friends, that God loves every single one of you. Every person in this room, He loves you. Regardless of what you've done and where you've been, who you are, He loves you. We all mess up. We all fall short of God's standard. The Bible calls that sin, and our sin, it separates us from God. But God, in His amazing grace, He sent His own Son, Jesus, to a cross. When He died on that cross, He took upon Himself what you and I were due for our sin. And He extends to every single one of us here today, not judgment, not condemnation. He extends to you His free gift of grace forgiveness for all of your wrongs, all your past, all your guilt, all your shame, your old life forgiven. He gives you a brand new life, a brand new start. It's called being born again by the Spirit of God. God gets in on the inside of you and makes you a brand new person. You get to walk into the plans that God has for your life. You're not a mistake, you're not an accident. God created you and He made you for a purpose. He's got a plan for your life. And God is also preparing a thing called eternity for you. It's called eternity in heaven. This life is not the end of the story. There's more to it. And God is preparing a place for you. If you're here today and you're saying, Steve, my life is not right with God and I wanna get it right. If you're far from Him tonight, if you wanna give your life to Jesus, maybe you've never done that before, tonight is your night. What I'm gonna do is I'm gonna pray a very simple prayer. And I'd love to lead you in that prayer if you wanna pray it. What I'll do is I'll pray it out loud. You don't have to pray it out loud. You just pray it with me in your heart. But as you pray it in your heart, I want you to mean it. This is your prayer. If that's you tonight, just say these words. Repeat after me and say, God, tonight I surrender my life to you. I know I've sinned. I know I've messed up. But I do believe that Jesus, you died for me. So right now, I ask you to forgive me of all of my wrongs. I turn from my old life and I turn to you. 
I ask you now to come into my life. Be the Lord of my life. Take control. I choose from this moment to live for you. Would you come in and make me brand new today? In Jesus' name. Just with your eyes still closed and head bowed. If you prayed that prayer tonight, either for the very first time or maybe you're coming back to God, can I just say, I am so proud of you. I think it's the most wonderful and amazing decision you could ever make in your life. And I wanna invite you to do one more very small thing. I actually wanna encourage you to take one more little step of faith. Now what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna count to three and if you prayed that prayer tonight, either for the very first time or you're coming back to God, when I get to three, I want you to put your hand up nice and high. Now I'm not doing that to embarrass you. I'm not gonna call you out. I'm not gonna stand you up, nothing like that. All I will do is I will see your hand, I'll acknowledge it and you can put it straight back down again. This is your own little step of faith saying, Steve, yep, count me in on that one. If that's you tonight, you pray that prayer, you meant it on the count of three. One, two, three. Hands up nice and high saying, Steve, that's me. Awesome. God bless you. God bless you right in the middle. Over to my left. God bless you, my man. I see you too. Right down the back. I see you as well. That's incredible. In the middle, I got you. That's incredible. Anyone else saying, Steve, that's me. Count me in. Count me in. I want to know him. I want to get my life right with him tonight. Awesome. Well, God, we thank you so much for what you're doing in this place. God, I thank you for new life that has come to the people that put their hand up tonight. And God, I pray your blessing on them. God, I pray that you fill them with your spirit. May they truly know the new life that comes from Jesus. We honor you for them and we thank you for them. We bless them now in the name of Jesus. Amen. Come on, church. You better put your hands together. Let's congratulate all those people that just said yes to Jesus. Oh, man, that's why we do what we do. Absolutely amazing. Can I say, if you put your hand